Welcome. Welcome into the show. It's the original gangsters, the OGs. OG. The duo of all duos. Paul George in studio with Deacon Adam Conk. That's it. It's just the two of us. Yep, just like it used to be. That's right. So many moons. You know, it's hard to think we uh, we did this show for so long, just the two of us, rocking and rolling. When the pandemic hit a year and a half ago, whatever, I don't care. You know, Chad had nothing to do, <laughs> as none of us did. We were sitting at home, and then we had the third edition. But uh, Chad's... Uh, now he has something to do. Now he's back. <laughs> something to do. <laughs> Anyway, it's good to be with you, man. How are you? Good to be with you. Good, good. It's, uh, you know, August, July seemed to take forever for me for some reason. There's just a lot going on, I guess. And But um, August time is good for the Conk family. We're getting back into homeschool swing of things. Um, I'm working at a school now, so we're getting the thing up and running. So it's a lot of like, you know, get things started stuff, which it's is It's like good. a busy, busy time, mm-hmm. particularly if you work at a school. But if you're a family... Right, like whoever, like us, school's starting back. We're moving people into college. We've got people in high school. We have people in junior high. We got people not even in school yet. Like it's a busy time, right? We're trying to, you know, get all that all together. And so I know a lot of folks out there, you know, are listening. It's like, yeah, this is crazy, hectic, you know. But a lot of people I'm talking to is like, yeah, I'm kind of ready for summer to end and get more into a rhythm, mm-hmm. you know. And there's there is something about the rhythm of of life, you know, that school brings that, you know, everybody's at work and school and we come home, we eat dinner, we, you know, wake up, we can pray. Like summer kind of is just like schedules are out the window a lot of times. Yeah. I heard an analogy one time and I think you can tell me if this is true or not. I will. I'll tell you. All right. But the analogy was good routine is like a, uh, a batter in baseball. Every batter is going to do something different when they get to the plate, right? Like you're going to hit the plate so many times with your bat. You're going to, you know, kind of move your feet around with the sand. Whatever. Like you're you're going to have your routine, but it calms you and gets you in a zone for focus. Like all those physical routines, all the things around what you do, there's something about the same thing every day in a good way that allows you to focus on what's important or the task at hand, which for the batter is, you know, to figure out what exactly the scenario is and how they're going to respond, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's a great analogy. Actually, I would agree with you on that as a former baseball player. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a certain routine every time and what you're was right. Yours? It gave me focus. Let me try to remember. I mean, I would <laughs> dig in probably with my left foot. I'm left-handed. So that's my mm-hmm. back foot. I keep my right foot out of the box and make the sign of the cross actually. Mm-hmm. cross the plate, dig in a little bit, you know, whatever, tap my bat. Yeah, you know, so there was a certain rhythm and focus, and then it's like, hey, there's a 90-mile-an-hour pitch coming, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there you go. One of the things over the summer, I try to keep the rhythm of at least my mornings consistent so my prayer time and stuff can be together. But there's something about rhythm that's very conducive with the spiritual life, mm-hmm. very conducive with the life of a Christian, of a Catholic that's important to us. And so whether we get out of schedule or in schedule, I think th- the rhythm that we all desire in summer or in school season is what we all really long for is this rhythm of, you know, prayer, rhythm of quiet, rhythm of community, rhythm of family, rhythm of dinner, rhythm of prayer, you know, like just to have that rhythm of life um, that although for you and I as married folks with kids, that rhythm is like, can be hectic, but there's still a rhythm, 
Right. You know? right. And, and we can find times of contemplation, even in a chaotic rhythm. Yeah, as long as you know what's coming as much as possible, or at least you have a plan for what you don't know is coming. Like when the kid vomits everywhere, this is what we do, right? Or mm-hmm. like if, uh, you know, I get a call from the teenage kid and they all of a sudden need a ride or whatever, this is what we're going to do. Or they're... So enough life experience can kind of allow for the unexpected to be accounted for even. And that brings a certain peace spiritually because... If I go to pray, you know, let's say I have 20 minutes today to pray. I don't want that 20 minutes to be just crisis damage control with the Lord, right? Like, it can sometimes be that. But if that's my prayer life, I know that I'm missing something intimate with the Lord. And the way I can avoid my thoughts going towards the crises is that I've accounted already for what I'm going to do when these crises come up. You know, like if, like, uh, you know, school's about to start and we're all trying to figure out how to handle COVID again, you know. And there's, there's something peaceful about good decision-making about what we're going to do when this happens that allows me to be at peace enough to where when I'm praying with the Lord, I can focus on Him and not just go through damage control in my mind. You know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so I have a weird Catholic stuff. What? What are you saying? That's weird! Weird Catholic stuff. I love that. That was your best ever. That was your, and this is kind of a crazy. Catholic I had some preparation stuff. for it. It's kind of weird. It's kind of crazy. Kind of, kind of cool. Kind of fun. Kind of all those things. And uh, it, and it's local. So we live here in Louisiana. We probably talked about this last year, which we did. So if you know, but this is you know, if you're listening wherever you're listening on the podcast, um, you know, around wherever or on the radio here in Acadiana. Uh, it's relevant because it's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. So on the feast, August 15th, we have a feast day, right? Yep, the Solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Which is what? Well, it's it's we call it the Feast Day of the Acadians mm-hmm. just because Our Lady of the Assumption was a strong devotion to the Cajuns as they came from Canada to Louisiana, so much so that it's on our flag now. We have the star, which is you know Mary um, as a star guiding them by the sea but under the title of Our Lady of the Assumption. Yeah, so the Feast of the Assumption, the actual, is that is the Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary assumed, right, mm-hmm. in the heaven. Yeah, she's the only one who can assume. When you and I assume things, it's not good. But <laughs> Yeah, so all this being said, the crazy, weird, fun, Cajun, local kind of thing with the history of the Acadians and their devotion to Our Lady, right, is that on this feast... Uh, few years ago, Father Michael Champon, um, a religious priest in our diocese, started a Eucharistic procession tour on Bayou Tesh, like in a boat, right? Yeah, and for those not from here, Bayou is like a river, just darker. <laughs> it's muddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's muddy. So if you're not from here, yeah, a, a bayou is like a river. A river, in a sense, is, is, a, is a body of water that actually flows, so it's not stagnant mm-hmm. like a lake. Uh, but it's flowing. Rivers are a little bit more dirty here, mainly because we're <laughs> closer to all the sediment coming down, right? By the time it gets down here, it's muddy, and then it dumps into some type of other river that ultimately ends up in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Yeah, so if you take really dirty water, put it in a glass jar, 
and leave it for like two days. At the top, it's going to be really clear. That's like Pensacola mm -hmm. and Destin. <laughs> and at the bottom, it's going to be nasty. It's just mud. That's us. It's just mud. <laughs> when those rivers flow, that mud gets stirred up. So it just looks like, you know, the water is dirty, mm -hmm. you know. So anyway, all that being said, <laughs> the crazy thing about this is that there is a Eucharistic procession tour. So they have, you know, the Lord Jesus in the Eucharist in a monstrance on a pontoon boat processing the bayou, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And going the journey of the Acadians from like Mission Parish to Mission Parish as it started years and years and years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing, and it. I love how you say pontoon boat because I think that's important. If you've never, you're not from here. If you haven't seen pictures of this Eucharistic procession yet, I guess you might think you know Jesus will be on this like grand ship, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, us Cajuns, no, like we we put them on a, a nice boat. Don't get me wrong, it's a good boat. It's not going to sink. It's not going to sink, and it's you know it's dignified, but uh, it's definitely a Cajun thing, you know. It's yeah. not a cruise ship. It's not Carnival Cruise. No, no. So you could actually go to stops on the tour of the Eucharistic procession uh, on the feast day, uh, and then it ends with a mass, or it starts with a mass. I can't remember. Both. Both. Starts <laughs> masses all over the place. Masses all over. <laughs> Yeah, and people literally come from all over the country for this. Uh, I met some folks from California. You can register your boat and like get in the parade yeah. type thing and like follow, you know, the route in, in your own boat. You can do that the whole time. You can exit. I don't know. It's it's Absolutely. really kind of cool, and it's a rededication of our diocese, our area, our community to the Lord Jesus. Right, like Jesus is Lord over our land, just like the Acadians. Uh, many years ago when they were exiled from Canada and came down here uh, and they thought they were sent to horrible land and, you know, at the end of the earth in the middle of nowhere, what God blessed the, the Acadians with, which is where we get the word Cajuns, right, was fertile land. Mm -hmm. Like this is fertile land. Like all these rivers and arbitraries flow from way up north, come down here, and like the land is fertile. I always say like you can plant anything, it'll grow, right? Mm -hmm. And they ended up being, you know, just very, you know, communal and fruitful farmers down here. You know, they found a way to live off the land and made a living, whether it be fishing, farming, whatever. It was plentiful down here. God bless them, you know. Yeah, and the faith had what it needs most from the world, which is leave me alone. That's what, you know, like <laughs> right. no one messed with their faith. They just let them be Catholic. And it grew and flourished. And we had some strong leadership over the years, and so these towns that are that are on the route of the Eucharistic procession are still very Catholic towns. You know, it's going to start in a place called Leonville, um, and go all the way down to say Martinville. And there's places in between. Every town on the stop, the center of that town is the church. Yep. And uh, this is part of our Cajun heritage. We want to acknowledge that and thank God for that gift that He let our ancestors come to a place where they could be fully Catholic and not be persecuted. Yep. This is this was a modern day you know, exile. It was a modern day um, exodus. It was a modern day, mm -hmm. you know, Israelites coming out of Egypt, exiled, looking for the promised land, wandered for four years, looking for the land of milk and honey, right? And we don't think about it. We're, it's not like the, the Acadians, like, got on a plane and, like, were, like, flew down here like they they had walked from canada 
and journeyed or got in a boat. Like, the, like they were <laughs> exiled. Mm-hmm. And they thought that they were just going to end up like, you know, and they prayed the whole time. They thought they would just end up like, you know, probably in a desert or whatever. But at the end of their journey, they ended up in fertile land, land of milk and honey in a sense that God blessed them with a land that provided for them, mm-hmm. provided food, provided the things that they needed, and they never went without. This is, this is a mo- this was a modern-day exodus of God providing of people who were exiled. And I think oftentimes, like in our life, when we're, since we're talking about a rhythm of life, right, we're talking about when we're not in rhythm, we feel like we're wandering. We feel like that there's no focus. There's no, we're, we're just kind of bouncing all over the place. And the beauty of relationship with the Lord, no matter how inconsistent our life is, how much we feel internally we're wandering and we don't have direction and we're out of rhythm, that the Lord can use any circumstance in our life and reroute us to, to a point and moment and place in our life where we can um, be fed, all right? Like we can arrive at a place of peace, a, a place of spiritual um, milk and honey, per se, a spiritual promised land, right? And mm-hmm. this is the beauty of being Catholic, is that no matter how far we go or wander or sin, when we come back and focus in on the sacraments and we come to back to mass. This is the land of milk and honey. This is the promised land. This is it. Like God gives himself to us. And this is at the center of this Eucharistic procession is not the boat. It's not, it's not the stops. It's Jesus Christ. That's the center of this. Yeah. I love how you're saying that because it reminds me that this particular fete, so I guess every three years this will happen, but we're going through John chapter 6 on our Sunday Gospels. Correct. Because we're in the year of Mark, which is so short. There's just not enough Gospels to fill the whole year. Right, Mark, <laughs> he just cut, he cut corners. He's, yeah. he, he summed up a lot. He did, he did. Um, so we interject John chapter 6 for like, I don't know, four weeks, three or four weeks. It happens to be during this Eucharistic procession, but I think... That dynamic is exactly what the Lord was talking about in John chapter 6, because they were talking about Moses in the desert and how God fed fed them manna. And they said, well, Jesus, what can you give us? Right after he just fed them 5,000 people, he just fed them food, but he, he points them to the deeper thing. He says, don't work for food that will perish, but for food that lasts eternal life. And I am this bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And um, so it's a beautiful image this year of Jesus Christ literally on a boat, going down this fertile bayou, you know, that God has provided for the Cajun people for over 250 years, the bread, you know, the manna, but he's also provided the true bread, you know, eternal life. And how many ancestors we have there in heaven now because of what God has provided his people in the Eucharist. And you're right, it, it's a beautiful image of the promised land is Jesus, and yet he also promises us. It's like we have him and we, and we have to have the patience of not yet, and go through this desert experience. Because um, some of the Cajuns didn't make it to Cadiana. They died on the boat, right? Absolutely. But Jesus was with them on the boat. And they journeyed together to that promise that God does intend to fulfill. But we have to have a certain patience, you know? Yep. All right. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the health care problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? 
Solidarity HealthShare is a healthcare sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund healthcare costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks again for listening in, being a part of the podcast, wherever you are, or here in Acadiana. Thanks to KLFT Radio 9.5. Yeah, I mean, what a mission uh, KLFT has been, you know. And so I think in the past they've aired the test. There's been commercials about the Eucharistic procession, which has been cool. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really a unique thing. It's crazy. But here's the thing. If you've never been to Louisiana, never visit, particularly South Louisiana, which is where the Acadians settled, where we get our Cajun culture and our history, you got to come. Like, it's, it, we're crazy. There's crazy <laughs> things. There's very unique place, right? And you can't, like, come here and just, like, stay in a hotel and go eat at Chili's. No. Mm-hmm. You got to go underground. Like you got to go behind the scenes and visit the places and do the things that make the culture the culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because on the outside, it's like, oh, they look normal. No, 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 we're not normal. <laughs> There's a lot of really cool, unique traditions and and things within the culture. But at the heart of our culture, let's not forget is being Catholic, like being you know sold out, you know, Christian. Like that that was one thing that was. Part of the Acadians getting exiled was that they weren't willing to to negotiate their their faith, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, like we want to go to a place where we can have the freedom to practice our faith. Send us anywhere, they sent them to a swamp, and luckily the swamp ended up being fruitful. Now it is hot in the summer. Yes, I'm not suggesting come visit in August. As a matter of fact, the only disadvantage of this Eucharistic procession <laughs> is that the it's solemnity so falls, the feast day falls in August, which is the hottest and most humid month of the year here. It's hot. So that's it, kind of part of the fun, too. If you're up for adventure, you know, they have water, they have fans. You'll get, be all right. But it, it is hot. You get in the shade, gracious. drink a lot of water, you know, but it is, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the. You know, the fall's great. The spring, you mm-hmm. know, we don't. Mm-hmm. It, it's great, but yeah, but it's like that. Yeah. yeah, it's hot. I remember um, an out of town visitor to the Fet. The daughter got pretty worn out from the heat. They were on the boat, you know. Yeah. Um, boat I was on. So it happens. But look, you prepare and uh, have a good time. Come visit us, and it is a good time to visit. In that, if you go on the boat. You get to see all these Cajun towns. So, like, you make these stops, and then once it's done or the next day, you can go back and say, oh, that was a cool place. I want to go eat there or visit there. You know what I mean? So right. you kind of tour the area through the Eucharistic procession. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of crazy. You know, what's interesting is that uh, the reading today on this Friday, um, August 6th, is we uh, is the transfiguration of the Lord, Right. Which is, um, 
you know, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John on the mountain, and he turns glowing white, right? He's trans, he's transfigured, right? His his divinity is like whoa, right? Like it's the presence of God. It's it's a modern day for them, like a modern day burning, you know, Old Testament burning of the bush, you know, or um, God arriving and his presence being on Mount Sinai, right? Like th- this is happening, and I'm sure Peter, James, and John are like, wait, what's taking place? Like what's happening? And then Moses and Elijah show up, and prophets appear, right? Um, which is, you know, one of the one of the ways that we know that saints are real and alive, right? They're in heaven, and then boom, like there they are on, on the side of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, Peter, James, and John are, are totally human beings, right? Sinful, just like we are. Mm-hmm. Imagine being there. Like, what is your thought process, right? Freak out. You're in fear. Like, you're like, what the heck? This is cool. <laughs> you have all these things. And Peter makes a very interesting comment, and appropriately so, knowing the Old Testament, right? He says, Lord, why don't we make three tents for you, Moses, and Elijah, and just stay here, right? Because in the, in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the presence of God was in a tabernacle, in a tent, right? The Holy of Holies, right? Mm-hmm. And only the high priest could go in there. So only Moses could go up to the mountain to visit the Lord. Only Moses could go into the Holy of Holies, you know, to get the commandments. But the presence of God was so strong in there that, like, no one else could go, Right. Yeah, and Moses would even glow when he would come down from the mountain. Right, his face would glow. So there was this—the presence of God was so strong. Well, this is happening to Jesus. Like the presence of God, Peter knows this. Right, he's like, Lord, well, you know, obviously, let's build tents for you guys to live in, and then we'll just come up and visit. Right, <laughs> let's just stay here. Let's stay here, which makes sense as well. Like, why not? Right. Yeah, I think you and I's reaction analogy might be if if the Pope just walked into the room right now. We would say, oh, Holy Father, uh, welcome to Acadiana. We, we need to get you a place to stay, right? Why don't you come check out our cathedral? Um, you know, we'll go through the list of things that we ought to do to honor the dignity of the, the situation, mm-hmm. right? And so Peter goes through that little list in his head of, I mean, this is an amazing moment. This is not a normal thing. And so what do I need to do to honor the dignity of what's happening? You know, we have our Lord. We have Moses. It, this didn't happen often. It's not like people saw Moses apparitions everywhere. Right. Like, in fact, this is the only one yeah. that I'm aware of in the entire Hebrew history of Moses appearing to someone. So it's not like Our Lady who's, you know, appeared at Lourdes, appeared at Nock, appeared at Fatima. This wasn't a normal occurrence. Right. There's there no our Moses of the pillar or something like no. that, right? So Peter recognizes the uniqueness, the dignity of the moment, and he wants to respond in kind. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's it's just like Peter. It's like uh, yesterday's gospel where, you know, Jesus says the Son of Man's gonna have to be handed over and he's gonna die and he's gonna be raised. And Peter says, God, no, forbid. You right. know, Peter wants to respond. He wants to kind of in a way, control the situation. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. 
you know, he desires, you know, yesterday <laughs> Jesus tells him to get behind him, Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Today he's like, okay, I'll make a, th a theological point here, Jesus. I know the Old Testament. The presence of God is so strong. Let's build tents because that's the appropriate thing to do. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not why I came, right? Like, I came actually to, to move down from this mountain to bring the good news to the world, right? The, and, the, and there, you know, in the Old Testament, God is, is contained in the Holy of Holies. Like, now in the New Covenant, God is breaking out in human flesh. You know, Jesus incarnate, you know, fully divine, fully human. You know, here's the thing. If, if Jesus was only human, then, then we would never be saved, Right? But if Jesus was contained only in his divinity in the Holy of Holies, in a tabernacle or, you know, in a tent, we would never be touched physically. And so in his, in his humanness and his divinity, we're both saved and touched through salvation, right? Through, you know, now physically, you know, we're touched in the sacraments, you know, God's true presence. So Peter's wanting to do that, and, and Jesus is like, no. But it's interesting, the presence of God settles you know, comes upon the transfiguration, obviously, and the voice of God comes out. And it's and it, he says the same words at the transfiguration that he says at Jesus' baptism, which is, this is my beloved son. That's it. Yeah, connecting those moments. Uh, there's a beautiful um, Pope John Paul II's letter when he added the luminous mysteries, of which this is one, the transfiguration. There's a beautiful explanation of what he called the mysteries of light in that they reveal to us who God is. And both of those are mysteries of light, the baptism and the transfiguration. And they reveal who this person is, who is Jesus. And God himself, again, this is not a normal occurrence. It's not like people walked around and heard God speaking normally. So the heavens break open, and in both cases, this is my beloved son, and in this case, listen to him. Right, So to make sure Peter, James, and John understood and that we understand the unique role Jesus has, Moses and Elijah should listen to Jesus. you know, Because at the time, listen to Moses was kind of the main theme. Right. What right. did Moses have to say? Yeah. And we still care what Moses had to say. But Moses listens to Jesus, and we ought to listen to Jesus. And Elijah, a lot of people cared what Elijah had to say in his day. Um, and they still do, and we still do. But listen to Jesus. The authority of the Son is so bright and amazing and revealing of who the Father is that to know the Father, we simply need to listen to the Son. Right. It's a mystery of light. We re he reveals God to us in his person, like you said, in his flesh. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament, when Moses, when God would speak to Moses, which wasn't often, right, but it happens, he would come back and say, what did God tell you? He would relay as a as a prophet, you know, as as a patriarch, as a priest. He would relay what God had said, you know. In Jesus, the the voice of God is Jesus. Jesus is the voice of God. They're one and the same, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that was what was proven at the Transfiguration to Peter, James, and John is like, oh, you're God, right? Like mm -hmm. you you're you're the one you know, the Messiah, the one who has come to save. Like, And I think at that point, probably for the most part, those guys were convinced of his divinity. Yeah. Um, you know, that there was a, a real revelation of 
who he was, right? Up until that point, there was an assumption only based on what he did or said or the miracles, but here was an actual moment where it was like, no, I'm revealing who I am, you know, fully and totally to you, you know. There was a lot of theological speculation of why just them, you know, why not all the 12? I don't know the answer to that, you Mm -hmm. know. But they had a unique experience of the Lord, and, you know, it wasn't to be just contained there. You know, Jesus is like, no, I come to save, you know, bring salvation to the world. You know, we can't just stay up on this mountain, right? Like, you know, we're called to be, you know, to bring that to the world, which is, you know, you tie this into the Eucharistic procession of the test. It's like, you know, we could just keep Jesus hidden, but yeah. no, that's not what we're called to do. You know, we're called to bring Jesus into the world, right? To take, you know, this unique experience that we have of God revealing himself to us and bring it to the world. Yeah, I love that. And um, this transfiguration moment, it's one of the few things that all four Gospels contain because they're not all the same, right? They they have different audiences, different purposes, and they're written at different times. So like St. John intentionally left out a lot of things because they were already contained in the other three books. So he says, well, I'm not going to... Because it wasn't a cheap thing to write a document, all right? Like, it's yeah. an expensive, difficult thing to do. So that's already written. I'm going to add what's not written in most of the time. Um, but there are a few things that are all four. So, for example, the Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the central event of all four Gospels because it's the central salvific event. The passion is in all four Gospels from four different perspectives. And I would say the transfiguration is in all four because of its relationship to the passion. In that it's so clear in each Gospel that Mount Tabor and Mount Calvary are the same mystery, just like the baptism of the Lord is the same mystery, but expressed through signs in different ways. So like Tabor is the, the transfiguration is the the light, the majesty, the glory of the cross revealed to us in that moment to where now we can look at the cross with the same instinct that Peter had at the transfiguration. Because none of us probably go to our church and gaze upon a statue of the transfiguration in awe and wonder. We go to the crucifix, right? Like, because... The gospel has been revealed to us. We can see in the cross the same glory and majesty that Peter, James, and John saw on Tabor because we understand the grandeur of the love that is hidden in the cross, right? But yet the transfiguration allows us to know who is on that cross. And John, who was at both events, the only one that was at both, this was certainly in his mind, at the foot of the cross knowing the glory he saw, this same Christ is now dejected and humiliated and bleeding and dying. But he was able to see in faith that same glory because this glory was now expressed through the love of the cross of Jesus Christ, the passion of our Lord. These moments are very connected. Yes, absolutely. You know, I think, I know for myself, for a lot of folks, and maybe even folks who don't understand the faith even more so, right, or have fallen away of how, you know, fortunate we are that 
the revelation of God is fully revealed to us, right, in the new covenant, right? We, we know everything to know about Jesus is revealed, right? Yeah. So, so Jesus is not going to come again to reveal himself, more of himself. He's fully revealed. The next time Jesus comes, it's, a, it's done. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, <laughs> heaven or bust, right? Like, it's over. <laughs> So he's not going to come to reveal himself again or to reveal what he forgot or didn't reveal, right? The full revelation of God, the truth of God, the love of God is revealed in Jesus. And, and, and that has taken place historically. We live in the new covenant, the new revelation of knowing the truth and love of God, right? As Catholics, even more so, the revelation of God, the truth, and seeing God is given to us in the Eucharist, in the sacraments, in baptism, in reconciliation. But the apex of all that is the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, the risen Christ. And I I think oftentimes we take that lightly, you know, even for those folks like you and I who obviously believe in the presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, I think if we really pondered like how amazing that was, like, I don't know, like it seems to me that there would be a sort of a, a real change in our life often. Right. And I think if the majority of Catholics fully believe that that was a true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, that God, he revealed himself in Jesus, and that revelation is like in our face. As the Eucharistic procession comes down the Tesh, this isn't <clears throat> this isn't a uh, a parade to <laughs> commemorate something. Right. This is making present in the moment the reality that God is there. Right. Yeah. In the in adoration and this is what happens at every mass the transfiguration in a sense happens at every mass mm-hmm. right the, the, yeah the, i love that because the the struggles and the pains and the sufferings and the trials and everything that's difficult about life in the mass in the eucharist gets offered to god in a glorious way in other words it's glorified it's transfigured so whatever i went through this week to battle my way into heaven you know fighting my temptations fighting my you know by god's grace Whatever difficulty the cross has brought me this week can find a glorious offering to God in the Eucharist when when the priest says, lift up your hearts, and I say, we lift them up to the Lord, my heart is transfigured with Jesus. My heart begins to glow white like that Eucharist. My heart begins to be on fire with the love of God, at least in that moment. And that Mount Tabor experience of the Eucharist, of the Mass, will then lead me back out to go carry that cross again to carry the cross of living in this world and, and doing our best to bring as many souls to Jesus as we can. And, but then I come back again on Sunday. So this Mount Tabor moment of the mass, I think that's a great insight, Paul, that this is meant to be a transfiguration over and over again, that we would be like Peter, James, and John who want to stay for a while, you know, at least for an hour, um, maybe more, but we want to stay here. We want to be here because in this place, with this Eucharist, with this sacrifice of the Mass, we are all transfigured into the glory that God calls us to. Yeah, I mean, so, like, just think about how fortunate we are. And, and 
and I need to be re-reminded of this too, you know, as I sometimes may go to mass and I'm not fully present to what's happening, right? I mean, I want to be there. I'm making a conscious effort to be there, but not fully, fully present. You know, as, as you've become a deacon, been ordained, like you have a, you have a closer seat to what's happening, right? Mm. At, at the table, right? And, you know, it's not like, so, so the priest or bishops or whatever, you know, they, they get to only celebrate mass from obviously a different seat, but as a disciple, as an apostle, right? And then consecrate the host, right? They're there. They're there in the moment. Like it's, it's happening there, right? And oftentimes it's like, oh, well, they get to do that, you know, and I'm, I'm over here as a spectator, right? So Peter, James, and John get to be around the table, right? Mm-hmm. And see this moment, okay? But then they leave and they go back to the others, and Jesus is present with them. Is Jesus less present with the ones he goes back to than he was with Peter, James, and John in the Transfiguration? No, he's not less present, right? And so, like, I don't get to, as a layperson, be around the altar. But Jesus comes to me, like, literally. And, you know, I can't imagine that disciples were like, well, if I couldn't be there, then I don't want to be here. No, Jesus is with you. I know he was there in a different way, and it's hard to explain what happened, but he's present with you now, and you're just like, okay, that's great. you know. And this takes the patience that we all need as Christians for that moment in heaven when Jesus is in his glory and we all see him as he is. And there is a mysterious providence in this life of why Mary appears to these children and not others, why the Lord chooses Peter, James, and John to be on Mount Tabor and not the other apostles. There is that strange providence of God that we don't understand as to why certain people are called to certain things or given certain gifts in this life. But we do know why it happens ultimately, which is it is for the kingdom. You know, it's for the spread of the gospel that Jesus made this choice. But in the end, it's just a foreshadowing and a taste of what we're all going to experience. So like in heaven, we're all brides of Christ. Like we are all in awe of the majesty and glory of Jesus Christ with Moses, with Elijah, with everybody, with the Blessed Virgin Mary. I'll be closer to the Blessed Virgin Mary than I am with my wife in this life because the union of the communion of saints is so profound that none of us have a short sheet at the short seat at the table, right? Like none of us have that sense of distance from God. We are all beholding him face to face. And this takes a certain patience because in this life, I might not be on Mount Tabor, you know? Yep. 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 I might just have to hear about it. I might not get to go to the cool Covecrest camp that I've never been to, but it sounds awesome. I might not get, you know what I mean? I might not get to go to Rome. I haven't been yet. Sounds pretty good. But it's okay, because I'll go to the heavenly room one day. Yeah, you'll see, and I'll see, the transfigured Christ in heaven. Like, the glow, right? Yeah. And what we, what we can know and believe in faith that the Eucharist is a veiled presence, because <clears throat> as theologians have talked about, right, like it's... It's a veiled presence, and it's like a bride is being is veiled, 
mm-hmm. that you don't see the face of the bride, you know, like there, there's a, you know, that if, if the presence of the Eucharist was unveiled, that the presence would be so strong that we, in our human form, would not be able to contain it. Yeah. Right. And God knows that. Right. So we, it's the full presence, but a veiled presence, because if it was unveiled, we would explode. Right. So this un, total unveiled presence will be in heaven when we look at the resurrected, transfigured, unveiled Christ face to face. And like then the glow upon us will forever be like we'll glow forever. Right. We'll and explode forever. We can't glow forever because we're still living in this mortal sinful state. Right. Yeah. Even though we're working through our sin, even though we're confessing of that we're still broken and mortal and and sinful right yeah and i think it's important for us to remember that this whole life is very brief really this whole life is very brief you know the angels had one choice to make god created them he gave them knowledge of everything they'll ever know and he said look do you want to be in heaven or not and about a third of the angels apparently said no we don't want to submit we don't want to serve and we want to follow lucifer right but two-thirds said, yes, we want to be in heaven, and now they are forever. And their will is now fixed on God forever, unchangeable. They can't sin anymore. You and I, it's not that dissimilar. You and I are given a lot of choices. Some of us very few because we live a short life. Some of us many choices because we live to be old people. But in the end, that last decision, yes or no for Jesus, is the one that gets stuck forever. That's the one that sticks. And we, like the angels, this is our time of freedom. Right, So God's not going to destroy our freedom. He's not going to come in such a way, like you said, we'd just explode if we saw the majesty and glory of God. And one thing we wouldn't do was we wouldn't have choice anymore. Because when we, when we behold God as He is, like the angels do and like the saints do, our will is so caught up, so arrested, so captivated that sin is impossible. And, um, and so heaven becomes an expression of freedom that is impossible to sin. We can't sin anymore in heaven, not just because it's not available. It's not like there's not temptations in heaven. I mean, there aren't, but that's not why we don't sin. We don't sin in heaven because we're so captivated. We're so immersed in God and yet still free that sin is impossible. Not because we can't, but because out of love. Our love is so great and complete. And that's not this life. This life is freedom time. This life is decision time. This life is I choose God or not, you know? And so he's going to be patient with us. He's going to give us these moments of transfiguration to keep drawing us like a fishing lure into heaven, right? These little baits of how great he is so that we keep on the path. And then one day we will explode in joy for all eternity. I like that idea, exploding. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, in heaven, you know, sin, God and sin can't coexist because the presence of God is so strong that it just ushers out anything that's not good, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so this is, you know, where the conversation of purgatory comes in, right? So, unfortunately, this year, I had a friend of mine who's great, he's fine, safe, but his house burned down, Mm. like, to the ground, like, nothing left, and he called me, it was horrific, in the middle of the night, his parents lived with him, they're elderly, like, but everybody was safe, and uh, to the ground, he said, dude, it happened in five minutes. And wow. it just burned to the ground. I said, oh, well, you know, the next day I was talking to him. And he's like, well, at least you have your vehicles, how, how they turn out. 
And because uh, I knew that their driveway was on the side of, like, in front of the house, like sort of this circle drive. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, he goes, the fire was so hot that it melted my truck. The whole truck just melted. The whole truck? It was so hot. The tr- Like literally a metal vehicle, like a full-size truck, melted. Nothing, the whole thing? The whole thing. You're kidding. No kidding. He I've never he heard sent of me, that. I, yeah, he sent me the picture. Crazy. He said it was so hot it melted. And uh, I was like, you know, that's, that's uh, you know, with the presence of God. Presence of God is so strong and so pure that it... it melts away anything around it that uh that is you know of not of him right mm-hmm. like sin or whatever and and this is what happens right so purgatory is this slow melting away of our old sinful self right mm-hmm. and and purifying us to enter into the glory of glories so that when we're face to face with Jesus, we have the glow, you know, the total glow of Jesus. I can't wait for that. Yeah, and I, as you say that, I think it's striking that Tabor didn't purify Peter, but Calvary purified Peter. Hmm. Like Peter much more enjoyed Tabor, right? Like much more enjoyed the transfiguration. Let's stay here. Let's stay here. But he wanted to get out of Dodge when the crucifixion was happening, right? Like yeah. he. Yeah, he couldn't take a few uh, peasants saying, uh, "Well, peasants." It wasn't like it wasn't Victorian England, <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. a few common folk, yeah, saying, "Hey, aren't you one of one of him, his followers? Yeah. Aren't you one?" I saw you. He couldn't take it. He ran out. Yep. Um, he he didn't say, "Let's." I'm building a tent right here. I'm staying here with Jesus no matter what. John right. did, but anyway. But point being, it was that experience of the cross, that purification, that made him ready to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth and go to heaven. And so uh, I think it's a great insight, Paul, that purgatory is that preparation for that transfiguration, and it comes by way of the cross, by that mountain. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we're actually talking about a contemporary saint that did this well. Melted? Well, sort of. We'll be right back. The Paul George Show is made possible in part by our partners at Solidarity HealthShare. Solidarity is the Catholic solution to the healthcare problem. Are you paying too much for your health care cost? Solidarity HealthShare is a health care sharing ministry which provides an ethical way to fund health care costs while protecting and practicing our Catholic beliefs. Best yet, Solidarity HealthShare's members are exempt from the fines and penalties in the Affordable Care Act. Visit SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the podcast, wherever you are. Please feel free to share the show. You can go back and see it, or not see, but listen to any of the other shows. I guess you can look at the logo. Yeah. <laughs> and all the people here in Acadiana, KLFT Radio, thanks for being a part of uh, the community here and Catholic Radio for Acadiana. Uh, so we actually celebrate the feast of St. Dominic. This week, mm-hmm. uh, as a contemporary saint, not so much contemporary at our modern time, but he was contemporary at some point. Yeah, there was a point where he was contemporary. There was a point where he was <laughs> a contemporary 
kind of guy. <laughs> but he wasn't a saint around the time of Jesus or the first few centuries. So, right, uh, right. you know, around 1100s, 1170 to, you know, 12. Somewhere around there. <laughs> 21, as I look at the dates. <laughs> Off the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But here's what's interesting about Dominic, and we don't talk about St. Dominic a whole lot. We don't, you're right. Which is interesting because as I was reading more about him, I was like, wait, what? We need to talk about this guy a little (laughs) bit more. And um, I don't know a whole lot around where the modern-day Dominicans are, but as as we know, the religious order of the Dominicans come from St. Dominic, right? Uh, Now, I know some of the, the, the... nuns, the sister Dominicans, are doing well and thriving. I don't know about on on the male side. All that being said, St. Dominic was a contemplative, uh, prayed a lot, um, you know, was a, was a priest, and he kind of stayed in that mode. He stayed on the mountain in the trans- transfiguration. Well, story goes that he went on a trip with his bishop and saw and heard of a world that was like in turmoil and even, um, you know, heretical teachings within sort of communities. And he felt this calling to preach the gospel to people in the world, like to get out of the monastery or this just contemplative life. So the saying, in a sense, is if you haven't heard this, you have, but like, listen, is became a contemplative in action. I love that saying because that's really what we're all called to, to contemplate, which we talked about in the first segment, to have this rhythm of prayer in our life, this rhythm of silence, rhythm of really listening to God. And when we live out of that in the world, right, we become contemplatives in action, action being bringing the love of Jesus Christ to, to those around us, wherever that is. Dominic was that, literally. His religious order was founded by a community of people who said, you know, we're going to pray, and out of prayer, what we talk about is God. So we pray to God and talk about God. That's our life. I was like, man, that's okay. It's a pretty good life. Pretty good life. It reminds me, of course, St. Thomas Aquinas who lived after St. Dominic, but became a Dominican because he was drawn to that. He was always a smart fella, yep. which is, and he was a nobleman. So, you know, his parents figured, well, we're going to send him to university. He'll be very smart and make a lot of money and all these things. And um, he just saw the vanity and all that. And he was, anyway, so he was drawn to the Dominicans because of this combination of contemplation and preaching. But it makes me laugh because he, there's a part of his summa where he talks about, um, perfect forms of life and you know like oh this this form of life is good but this form of life is better well of course at the top you find contemplative active life as in the one he chose (laughs) so it's kind of but he says this is the best thing because not only do you reap the benefit of contemplative life deep prayer contemplating the word of god but then you also put it at the service of all of humanity by preaching that word with fidelity and um this is dominic's passion and, you know, we need both. We need contemplation. We need preaching in different doses. I think God calls us, calls us all to different ratio, right? Like contemplation to preaching. But we all are called to that. 
Because what good is the word of God in me if I'm not going to share it with the world? Right. And this is the transfiguration, right? It's not, it wasn't just to be contained there, but you know, Moses was called down from the mountain to go to the people. Jesus, you know, Peter, James, and John was like, no, we're not staying up here. Our, our mission is out there. You know, uh, Jesus would withdraw to pray, but yet go back to the crowds, to the disciples, and, and live the life. There's a very few folks who are called to uh, this contemplative-only life, this, this communal, this, this um, covenant life, you know, uh, praying behind the walls of a monastery that have a unique calling to pray for everyone else in the world, right, and to pray for the world. We have religious who do that, and they have a specific calling. It's not like they're just sitting around, you know, knitting. You know, they have an intense prayer life that are praying for people like you and I and everyone else to be contemplatives in the world. So the majority of us are called to have a rhythm of life of prayer uh, centered around the sacraments that move us into action, into the world. That's in our jobs. It's in our daily life. That's in our families. It's as mom and dad, as husband and wife, as worker, as deacon, as layperson, as whatever, to be uh, to be in communion with God and to talk about him. That's, that's what Dominic said and lived by. And we can't argue with that. Like, that's the gospel. Yeah. Well, I love his witness, too, that he had the insight and intuition to be poor. So I think we kind of take this for granted, the Franciscan, the Dominicans, you know, like, yeah, they're poverty, chastity, and obedience, and they, you know. But Francis and Dominic took that poverty aspect to a different level of dependence on God in a way that was very profound. And I think it speaks to me in that my level of dependence on God will influence how effective my preaching will be and my contemplation. You know, his poverty that he embraced, living off of what they begged, you know, they could just beg for food and that's what you live off of. That life facilitates prayer and preaching in a way that is very unique and powerful. And even those of us, you know, if we're priests, lay people, deacons, whatever, those of us who are called by Christ to follow him and participate in the preaching of the gospel, we have to wrestle with this question, you know, how dependent am I on Jesus? Um, Would I say I have a luxurious life? Is my home luxurious, my clothes, my free time, my entertainment? Because all of these things might serve to suffocate the power of the gospel when I preach it. Yeah, and if you have that, use all of it to bring Jesus to people. Exactly. Just use it. That's all I would say. Whatever God has given you, whatever gifts, spiritual, mental, physical uh, blessings, use it for the glory of God. That's what Dominic was all about. All right, great show, man. Thanks for being a part of it. Uh, The duo is back in action. Feel free to share the show. Thanks to KLFT Radio, and we'll be back next week. God bless you.